You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. Um, has anybody else, any other parents out there, experienced your children going extra crazy in the last you know, few weeks? Like, just, yeah, come on, testify, uh-huh. Yeah, they're, they're, they're rowdy. The chaos has increased. Um, and I think it's because spring break started six months ago. Um, <laughs> you know, around our, we've, we've run out of tricks. We don't have any more staycation ideas, love and logic. We're like, we're giving p- the children choices at this point. It's like either do this or suffer, you know, the consequences. Like, that's our love and logic. It's, it's boiled down to that at this point. And um, <clears throat> we're just kind of phoning it in right now, and our kids know it. They can smell it. Kids can smell the desperation, and they, they know how to capitalize on that. <laughs> and we, I, even like our, we have a weekly family movie night, and now it's, it, it, we don't even watch family-friendly movies anymore, and family movie night is like every night of the week, and we're watching the Jurassic Park series, <laughs> so... <laughs> Our five-year-old just goes in the other room and watches Dora. <laughs> uh, at this point, being home alone with my kids feels a lot like being in a cave, like locked in with a bunch of malfunctioning Teddy Ruck spin dolls. It's just... <laughs> it's just insane. I, I recently, I asked my eight-year-old to, to stop yelling, and she said, this is actually my voice. My whole life I've been whispering, but I've been set free. <laughs> our newborn sleeps in a room just off of our dining room, which is a, just a huge error in a, in a house design. And so, um, and we have to keep the door open because the AC doesn't work real well in that room. So we keep the door open and he's three months old. So he naps like five times a day. And so 100 times a day, I'm going, It's like they, they talk too loud, shh, they drop something, shh, my shh is louder than them talking. It's just really self-defeating at this point. <laughs> My five-year-old asked me what it's like to have kids, so I interrupted her every 10 seconds until she cried. (laughs) Have you guys, any parents ever like moved a piece of furniture and found a sippy cup? And then you're thinking like, it's been one, two, three years since we used sippy cups. And you look in the thing, and it, it, it's like a cave of black caterpillars. <laughs> There's nothing that smells worse than a long-lost sippy cup. That thing probably grew the cure to COVID, but no one will drink it. Like, <laughs> oh, my kids want uh, smartphones. I don't think I'm going to do smartphones. Um, I think that they need to suffer through years of fleeting, awkward eye contact like the rest of us. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, why do, we <laughs> why do we discipline our kids? 
Is it because we, they, like they've broken one of our rules and we just need to let them know that, that we feel disrespected? Are we trying to like tip the cosmic scales of justice back to like this place of even? Like, do we discipline them because we're trying to like get a pound of flesh just to like appease our, uh, our angst in the moment, just to appease the anger that we feel for them breaking our rules? Is that, is that what we do as parents? No. We, we discipline our kids because we want them to have an incredibly rich life, full of love, full of friendship experiences. We teach them how to interact with people because we know that the, the richest thing in life is to have deep friendships with one another and with the Lord. We discipline them so that the police don't have to. Like We, <laughs> we love them, and our discipline is to... Restore. It, so are we, when we discipline our kids, are we being retributive? Do you guys know that word, retribution? Retribution, it, we're retributing. And so retribution comes from like this, this feeling that tribute or honor has been stolen from us, and the only way to get it back is to make them pay to restore tribute to us. That's a retribution. Is that how parents should operate? Or what about restitution? Do we feel like since our children have wronged us that they should pay us back? That's like that a payment is rendered to tip those cosmic scales of justice back to even. Is that how we operate? So it's not retribution. It's not restitution. It's restorative. It's restorative justice because what we want is our... Not just our, our children's heart to be restored, not just their, their outlook to be restored, but just also our connection to be restored. That, you know, it, it's, not that they broke, it's not that they broke our rules, it's that they, they, they didn't honor our friendship. They didn't honor our, our connection. And, and it's okay to show them emotion and bring them to a place where they realize the most valuable thing that they have is their connection to mommy and daddy. Do you think that that's how the Lord operates? Or is it, or is it restitution and retribution? Do you think out of the three, it's probably restorative? We get lots of Amazon boxes, and our kids love to build things out of these boxes. They build houses and, and forts and restaurants. And I noticed that, um, they were, that Jane, my seven-year-old, was using a steak knife to cut a window in one of the boxes. And my eight-year-old, Evie, is on the other side of the box with a steak knife going in and out of the cardboard. Yeah. Yeah, don't call CPS on us, please. So anyway, <clears throat> I was like, guys, bad idea, let me help. And then a few days later, I see Judah using scissors, and he's with all of his might, he's trying to cut through this cardboard box, and if it slips, he's like coming straight towards his body with these scissors. And so, being a loving father, I laid down a rule. I said, you guys can't cut cardboard without mom or dad. You, you need our help. Don't cut cardboard. And so fast forward a couple weeks later, I'm tucking Judah in to bed at night. And, and I notice, after we're like wrestling and, and talking about the day, I notice that he has several Band-Aids filled with blood on one of his fingers. 
And I'm like, buddy, what happened to your finger? And he's kind of like, oh, nothing. Like, it's <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> I was like, that looks like a bit. Let me see that thing. And, he, and we like, I'm like, we have to unwrap this. We got to clean it. We got to put some new Band-Aids on it. He unwraps it. It's a pretty deep gash. And, and I was like, buddy, how did this happen? And like, he's acting weird. And I, ha- I haven't put two and two together yet. And he, and he said, I was cutting cardboard with a steak knife and it slipped off the cardboard. And I said, buddy, that must have been so scary. And he goes, yeah, he just starts crying. It was. <laughs> and I hold him, I'm like, let's get this cleaned up. Let's, let's, and, and so we cleaned the cut, we put some new Band-Aids on it, and we, we're, we're sitting in his bed, and I said, Judah, um, you know the, the, the whole reason I made the rule about not cutting cardboard is because I don't want you guys to get hurt. But I care more about your heart than that rule. I want you, the next time you screw up big, I want this thought to pass through your head. I, I don't want you to think I screwed up big. I hope dad doesn't find out. I want you to think I screwed up big. I need to go to dad. And I said, I said, I have a dad, my father in heaven, and he has rules to protect me. He has rules like be kind and don't lie and like love those who love your enemies. I, and, I, and I'm you know, giving him some basic like kingdom principles. I say, but I screw up. And when I screw up, when I sin, I, just, I go right to dad and I say, I, I screwed up I sc- or I screwed up big or this is what I did. I need your help. Because he cares more about restoring our hearts than enforcing his rules. <sighs> and even, even at that point, like the, the cut on his finger, I wished that I could just take the pain away. Even after he broke one of my rules, tried to hide it from me, when I saw the pain that he was in, I wished that I could remove the pain. How much better is our Father in heaven than me? But in a way, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit thankful for that wound. I think that wound is going to be a, a faithful friend to him. He's, he's going to remember that rules are to protect him and that I can run to dad. I hope he has just a little, little tiny scar there to remind him. You know? I started singing this the other day. I was singing, It hurts like hell right now, it's true. But that wound will be a weapon. Just give it a season or two. These wounds can turn into monuments to experiencing the kindness of God, the restorative kindness of God. I think that any, anyone in here who's dealt with a friend or any parent who's had a child that's fallen into addiction has you know that you can't punish a sickness out of someone, right? There's, there's no amount of punishment that can heal a disease, right? You, if, someone, if someone catches you know, some, some blood-borne disease you know, from sinning in some way, you can't then punish them in, in order to make them well again, right? There's a different process involved. It's, it's walking with God. It's encountering his kindness. And um, 
there is, in, in, in the Bible, there's biblical judgment, right? Like we know that, that God is a judge. But did you know that that, that word judge, it, in, in the U.S., it carries different connotations because we have a judicial system and a judge renders a verdict and you're either guilty or innocent. But in biblical judgment, that word judgment actually means something much more restorative. It's actually akin to a physician or a great physician who is able to look at a sick person, determine what's wrong inside of them and render judgment, which is a prescription to bring them back to health and say, that thing inside of you, that's what's keeping you from health and wholeness. And my judgment is against that thing. And this is how we deal with it. And it's a process to restore us. And so God's judgment is ruthless and relentless because he wants to take the cancer of sin, not out of just all of humanity, but every single person so that we can experience the fullness of love, life, and joy with him. He is relentless when it comes to judging this kind of stuff. See, no one has gone to a doctor and had the doctor say, uh, you have cancer, but I think I'm going to go pretty easy on it. No. Like, if you, if you go to an oncologist, discover you have cancer, you want that doctor to say, bud, you have cancer, but don't worry. I'm going to be ruthless with this thing. I've done it before. You're going to be made well. I'm going to cut it all out, and you're going to be restored. It's going to hurt for a while, but you're going to live a great life at the end of this. Just keep hope. You know what I mean? You don't want to go to a doctor and says, you have cancer, but I think we should kind of dilly-dally and just <laughs> take our time. No, like you want the guy to be, this thing's got to come out. This is how it's going to come out. You're going to be well. That's our father. Those are his judgments. See, God is love. And that phrase can actually draw like a knee-jerk reaction in some of us, in some of us because we're thinking, yeah, he, he's love, but he's just and this is, where, this is where ontology becomes really important. This is a big word. Ontology just simply means uh, the word onto, ontos or ontos is being or essence. And so who is God in his essence, in the nature of his existence? See, because we can say that God is love, and we, we know like, that that's, that's a noun. It's not just descriptive. It's, it's his nature. It's not, we're not just talking about one of his attributes. We're talking about the foundation of who he is. The nature of Yahweh's existence is that he is love. And we know this to be true because from before time, there was lover, beloved, and the love they shared. There was Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity for all of eternity, for eons and eons. Who knows how long before he decided to expand the part and bring humanity into this love dance. God is love. See, this is where it breaks down. You can't say God is justice. No, no, no. God is love, and therefore he is just through love. You can't even, God, in his ontology, he's not even creator because if he, in his essence, is creator, then he is subject to needing creation to be who he is. 
and he doesn't need anything. And God, in his essence, isn't even ruler because that's saying that he needs rules to enforce to be who he is. But before he was creator, before he is ruler, he is love. And because he is loved, he said, I'm going to create out of my love and through my love. And I'm going to rule through love. And I am going to judge out of love and through love. The foundation of the universe, the thing that everything rests on is love. I had a really weird friend growing up who had a cat that he kind of loved. And there's a lot of stories tonight. He, he would pet this cat and like scratch it, and then he would smack it and say he needs equal parts, affection, and fear. And I'm like, all right, dude, let's just go back to video games. <laughs> and <laughs> And he, you know, he would scratch the cat's back until, you know, the cat was in like a great state of enjoyment and then push him off the couch. That cat was not right. You can't trust that cat after that. Okay, so here's, here's the sadness. I found out years later that that's how his father was, that he could never trust his father. He didn't know what version of dad he was going to get that day, if he was going to get affection or if he was going to get swatted. And he and his siblings, to this day, are still struggling just to process life, you know, 30 years later, 20, 25 years later. And sometimes people, we, we see God like that, and we say, yes, he's love, but occasionally he does something harsh to put us in our place, and we have this idea that he uses fear to control us, or fear to govern us. But beloved, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. There's no greater motivator and hedge to be hemmed in by than the Father's love. Mike Bickle says it like this, lovers outwork workers every day. See, when we think that, he, he, when you're not sure about his nature, if he's the kind of, if he is Yahweh who is love or Yahweh who is justice, we, we're afraid to go to him when we messed up. Or we're afraid to go to him when we need love, when we need to feel love again because we believe a lie about his goodness. We forget that he crossed the cosmos and endured the cross to have us eternally intertwined with him. Like he did everything and anything to be near us and is still pursuing us with that same fire. And the good news isn't that we were drowning and we figured out how to climb into his boat. The good news is that he snatched us out of the waters. Woo! <laughs> you ever wonder why God didn't kill Cain? Right? Like Cain killed Abel, right? And in the law, in Deuteronomy 19 and, and in many other places, we know that if you take a life, you, you take a life. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. It even says, show no pity in Deuteronomy 19. So Cain kills Abel, and God, what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't obey his own rules. He extends mercy. He's, he has a, a grand plan to love Cain 
to restore him. He even puts a mark on him so that he wouldn't encounter violence against him. This is our father. There's breadcrumbs of this all throughout the Old Testament and the fullness, the full revelation of the kindness, mercy of God is in the incarnation. Jesus shows up and says, y'all thought I was like that, but I'm like this. Jesus showed up and he straightened out so many of the things that we got wrong about Yahweh. So Paul addresses holiness. He actually, he, it's, it's almost every time, Paul will address identity before he addresses disease or, or, or deeds or dysfunction. And so he'll say, since you are this, then lay aside that. Or don't you know that you are beloved sons, and why are, so why are you doing this? And so he goes straight to identity because there's no way for us to act holy until we know we're holy. So it's kind of like he's, he's talking to people, and he's like, you know you're a beloved son of God, right? And the guy's like, yes, yes, yes. Well, do beloved sons of God sleep with temple prostitutes? No, no, they don't. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that's, that's dumber than taking a dog named Shark to the beach. Like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> so we are settled on the point that God is love, ontologically, in his essence, who was created in his image. All of us, right? What if we're the same? What if we were made out of love, for love, through love, in order to be love in this world? What if Jesus didn't just cover up our flaws in righteous robes, but he cut out the cancer in us so that we could operate as unhindered love again. Tonight we were singing, we're covered by the blood. I love that imagery, it's so true, but it goes even deeper than that. We're not just like disguised by the blood. Jesus didn't just hide us from the Father. Um, We literally stand before the Father unafraid and unashamed. Martin Luther says this, we are snow-covered dung. I just, I, I can't see Jesus standing in front of a crowd and saying, you're all dung. You're all just a pile of dung. But I'm going to disguise you and sneak you into heaven. And if the Father smells you, he won't be able to tell that it's you because he'll see me. You'll just be hidden because you're snow-covered dung. No, 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 no. The blood of Jesus changed us. Does God ever change? So did the cross change God? The cross changed us. It cut out the cancer from humanity. If one died, therefore all have died. And if we have died with Christ, we have been resurrected with him. When the Son of Man was lifted up, he drew the hearts of men to himself. And that's just not like some pretty imagery like that we can, 
it's, it's still, it is still pretty imagery to sing, like, let's lift up Jesus and have him draw hearts. But that's actually a very deficient understanding of that verse. When it says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself, that word draw isn't like entice or like, hey, come on in, I'm beautiful, you can trust me. It's, it's to drag the same word to draw was used when the disciples caught that huge catch of fish and they had to drag it to shore. Jesus threw his net on humanity and dragged us to the cross into the grave and ascended into the right hand of the Father. That's what he's done for us. Is this not good news? See, the incarnation is as much an unveiling of humanity as it is an unveiling of divinity. Do you guys know why Jesus never sinned? Because he's 100% human. He is the archetype, the prototype, the model, the man for all of creation, for all of history, for all of eternity, he is 100% God and 100% man. And when he came as 100% man, the reason he never sinned is because he is 100% man and he didn't believe one single lie about the heart of the Father. That's why he never sinned, because he is 100% human who believes no lie about the Father. So I want us to welcome and rejoice in the discipline of the Father because when the judge judges, he is judging dysfunction to cut it out so that we can be more free and fun. Father, I ask that this week we would grow in friendship with you, that you would increase dreams and visions in our life, and that we would experience your kindness in new, powerful, transformative ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you guys. See you next Sunday. Go and fellowship deeply.